I'll be reading Hebrews 5, verse 11 through chapter 6, verse 12. So hear now God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have been, once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you might, may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises." Let's pray together. Lord, this is your word. We acknowledge that there are times where your word has hard things for us to hear, direct things which convict us, and yet we know that you are a good father who loves us, who cares for us, and desires our good. And so, Father, would you help us to hear your voice? Would you encourage us this morning, equip us for service? We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In the 1980s, secular psychologists coined this phrase that they, of something that they were observing, something called the Peter Pan Syndrome. Now kids, you no doubt know who Peter Pan is, a guy who would fly around and spend time with Tinkerbell and Captain Hook and the Lost Boys and lived in Neverland, the place where the kids would never grow up. Um, and... Our culture values youth, for sure, but this idea of a perpetual youthfulness is not an ideal to be aspired for, and that's exactly what the Peter Pan syndrome is all about. It was um, seeing in adults uh, a unwillingness to grow up, uh, a hesitancy to get beyond their immaturity of their youth, and it was marked in different ways. Um, some people had a, uh, an inability to maintain gainful employment 
because of a lack of a responsible work ethic. Or maybe uh, these adults would get married, have kids, but they wouldn't do we wouldn't fulfill their fair share of responsibilities in the home. They might leave the, the cleaning and the child care to the spouse and instead spend all their time playing video games. Um, or uh, they might just well into adulthood refuse to leave their parents' home uh, simply because of a lack of desire to take on those adulting responsibilities that are expected of all of us. And... Beloved, there is a Peter Pan syndrome in the church. Scripture makes clear that when we come to faith in Christ, God gives to us spiritual birth. It's something, it's a work that he does. But God never intends for us to remain as infants. We're commanded to grow, to mature. We're told to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, to grow in the things that he tells us in his word, to put them into practice. But for many of us, we're content remaining as infants in the faith to our harm. And there, there are different reasons why this happens. We receive these messages that stop us from pursuing maturity, um, one is we have this mindset of professionalism uh, that all we really need to know are the basics. We might talk of salvation issues, those things which are necessary for us to be saved, to come to faith in Christ. And it's almost like, well, that's, that's what the test is over and everything else is extra credit, so I'm not going to focus on things that are extra. So one is the lack of necessity, but the other is another message, which is that focusing on these deeper doctrinal issues can actually be counterproductive um, because, as the saying goes, doctrine can create arguments. But what we really need to do is to focus on loving one another and getting along, and so we should avoid getting into these mired in doctrinal details. And these messages and things like them have a plausible sound to them, but Scripture teaches something very different. Scripture teaches us that we must, we're called to pursue maturity, just like it's not right for us as chi it's children to remain as children, but to grow to maturity. So the same with our spiritual lives. We need to mature because the maturity that God gives allows us, enables us to stand firm in the midst of the trials and difficulties of life and to be a blessing to one another. So we've mentioned that the book of Hebrews is very much like a sermon and the author is a good pastor and he has been encouraging us in how we can persevere in the midst of life, how we can stand firm. And he entered into this topic of Christ as high priest and being like Melchizedek. And it's almost as if he began to anticipate his congregation's eyes being beginning to glaze over, like, oh, 
This is a difficult topic. And before he goes too much further, he wants to stop and say, time out. This is important. I need to grab your attention. We need to focus on this. There are things in God's word that are often sometimes difficult. But when God speaks, it's important for us to listen because it's for our good and for his glory. And so he urges us to listen in this passage. And what, what, what he wants to say is that spiritual mature, immaturity, spiritual immaturity is a serious threat to our ability to remain faithful to our God. And so we must press on to maturity in Christ. So this pastor knows his congregation. He knows our hearts. And he proceeds to this passage through three kind of pastoral exhortations. He begins with a pastoral rebuke. He moves to a pastoral warning. And he concludes with a pastoral encouragement. And so we'll proceed through the text as we go through that. So he begins with the rebuke. He says, about this... We have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Or maybe a better translation, because you have become sluggish of hearing. It's an interesting thing in Scripture that at times God's Word recognizes that we have a difficulty in receiving it. Paul in 1 Corinthians says that there are there are things that are spiritually discerned, that the natural man doesn't understand it. At the end of Second Peter, uh, Peter says, uh, the Apostle Paul writes these difficult things and people twist them to, you know, as they do the other scriptures. And here he says, these things that I need to explain are hard to explain because you've become sluggish of hearing. But, and notice that he's not saying that the problem is scripture itself. God's word is clear. God is clear. And he's not saying that it's an intellectual problem, like, well, you just lack the mental capacity to understand this. It is a moral issue. You have become sluggish of hearing. And kids, you probably know what a slug is. It's one of those slimy, gross little bugs that moves very slowly, looks kind of lazy, and that's what he's, how he's describing us. He says we become sluggish of hearing. We're told to be quick to listen and slow to speak, but we've become sluggish in our hearing. And the, 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 the proof that he gives, he says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basics. You need somebody to teach you the basics. You should be teaching these things. And notice he says that without qualification. This is a letter to the church. This isn't a letter primarily to the elders. He's saying, you should be able to teach these things. There's an expectation that all of God's people in sitting under the teaching of God's word, that the interaction with God's word, the, the reception of it, that we should be growing in our understanding to the point where we can explain these things to other people. That's what he expects. 
Is that your expectation as well? That every member, every member of the church should have the ability to teach, explain. Now, we're not necessarily talking about standing in front of people and teaching a class with PowerPoints and all that, but the ability to explain the truth of the gospel, speak about our hope in Christ. These things are in Scripture as commands for us. There's an expectation that every single one of us should be able to do that. And there's a, I think it's difficult uh, for us. It's a difficult truth for us because we live in a culture where we have adopted this false notion of professionalism in that um, all I have to do is the basics and we'll leave the the tough stuff, the hard stuff, the explanation to the professionals, the, the pastors, the elders, the, the gifted teachers, the seminary professors, all that other stuff. Right? That's, not, that's not my job. That's a specific gift. And, we, and we, we see it all throughout our culture. I mean, we see it in the education industry, if you call it that, or the education area where Scripture is clear that parents have been given the responsibility to teach and instruct our kids to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Lord, they're the ones that are called to be stewards of these children. That doesn't mean that necessarily that we have to be homeschool parents. There can be good reasons to homeschool. There can be good reasons to leverage the gifts of other gifted teachers. But what it does mean is that we are stewards of our kids' souls and their education. We are the ones held responsible, but so often it's a handing them over to someone else who is more gifted because that's not my job. And the same thing is true in the church, beloved. God has absolutely given pastors, teachers, elders for the benefit of God's people to equip the saints for the work of ministry, without a question. In a, yet it is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And what, do, what is that ministry? You shall teach these things to your children. Older women are to teach the younger women what is good. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within you. And do it with gentleness and with respect. We are, we, we, the church, every one of us has a ministry to speak, to teach, to explain the truths of the gospel to our family members, to one another. That's what true encouragement in the gospel is. We're explaining, we're applying in each other's lives. It's what evangelism is, to share the hope of the gospel with our unbelieving friends, neighbors. It is a calling that we have, that each one of us has. And beloved, it's not just a mark of maturity, as he seems to have, he seems to point out. It's also a means of maturing. Because if you, for those of us who have tried to explain these things. You, you understand that the process of trying to explain anything solidifies your understanding in that thing you're explaining. So when we try to explain our what we believe, we try to explain the truths of the gospel, it forces us to 
really process through what is it that I believe? But then how do I logically and coherently present this to someone? Uh, the, the, the terrifying act, act of receiving questions on a material that you don't feel qualified about causes you to think through what you really believe in a new way. It is a means that God uses to help us come to grips with what do we really believe. And it causes us to grow. But what he says is that we should be teachers, but we become sluggish. And that is resulting in immaturity. And there, this immaturity has results, has these negative results. He says, first of all, that um, can't handle meat. He says, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Just like you know, babies, babies drink milk, but we don't expect babies to keep drinking milk for their entire life. We, expect, we, we know that they need the nutrients of solid food. And the same is for us. We cannot, we should not be stuck on milk. We need the solid food because the solid food is what he's getting at in his letter, talking about the high priestly character of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the solid meat, the solid food that we need in order to persevere. So we can't handle meat. The second is um, we're not a benefit to others. When we are immature, he says, you ought to be teaching. You ought to be teachers. Teachers have received this truth and are blessing other people in their understanding of these things. That's what we're called to do. I mean, we talk at times about the individuals who become professional students, who go to the university and do one degree after another because they're they're reluctant to go out and get a job and be productive members of society. And so often, uh, we can become professional students of God's word, afraid of using those gifts um, to teach others. We need to be productive. But the third, the third uh, negative result is we, the immature loses the ability to discern the sound from the unsound, uh, what is right from what is wrong. He says, um, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to discern, to distinguish good from evil. And this is part of what causes problems in our ability to persevere in faithfulness. Our culture and our own hearts throws all sorts of messages um, which run counter to the truth of the gospel. And without the maturity of deep roots of understanding, we are unable to discern these things. We are unable to stand firm when we get hit with all of life's experience. Paul, the Apostle Paul talks about um, we, we can be tossed to and fro, almost like a, a ship on the ocean. 
uh, by every wind of doctrine. And here he's talking about we need to have the ability to be to understand, to be able to discern the sound. We need deep roots and a firm foundation, which God gives us, but we must pursue in his word. So, beloved, you know, many of you, most of you, have been in the church and have been beneficiaries of God's word, taught to you, solid teaching, solid preaching for years. Many of you ought to be teachers. You ought to be able to speak of the things that you have been taught. And often that is difficult for us. Just simple, basic things. It's hard for us to articulate because we have not trained ourselves to be able to speak of these things. And students, I put you in this category as well. The Lord has given you brains and hearts and has lavished his word upon you. You should be able to understand these things enough to be able to explain them. And I understand the fear, the, the fear of teaching. Because when we open our mouths and we, it, if, we, if we nod our heads in agreement, we seem wise. Even a fool seems wise if he keeps silent, Proverbs says. But once we open up our mouths, then we leave no room for doubt or we're afraid of the immaturity that would be exposed by letting those things out of our mouths. And particularly the older we get, the more teaching we receive, there is a pressure that we ought to know these things, we ought to be able to explain these things, and there is a reality to that. And yet God would push us in the direction of being able to put these things into practice, to speak. To, to grow in this area. This is a means of God's growth. He's not intending to tear us down and to make us feel terrible about ourselves, but to push us to maturity, to push us in that direction. Um, when we teach, we are able to bless one another with our understanding and labor in this for uh, as, we, as we labor to move what we know in our heads to our hearts so that it would come out of our lips and that we might encourage one another. He says um, that we need someone to teach us again the basic principles. What he, what he literally says is, you need somebody to teach, teach you the ABCs again. And kids, there are, an ABC, there are ABCs to the spiritual, in God's word, to, to our faith. And he lays out those ABCs in chapter 6, the first three verses. And we could kind of summarize those ABCs. He lists six things. They're in three categories of two pairings. We could put them in the, in, in, as such, how we come to faith in Christ, how we live by faith in Christ, and then our hope in Christ. He says, um, let us move, leave the elementary doctrine and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of first repentance from dead works and faith towards God. This is recognizing our response to the message of the gospel, how we come to faith in Christ. We repent from dead works 
and we pursue faith in Christ, faith towards God and his promises in Christ Jesus, what we might call justification as a fancy word, how we are made right in Christ. Secondly, in verse uh, 2, and of instructions about washings and the laying on of hands. That's a little more obscure, but what he's talking about there is how we pursue Christ-likeness in the midst of our lives. Instructions about washings, talking about purification or sanctification, how we become, we set aside our, we set aside our sinful deeds, pursue purity in Christ, but also the laying on of hands. That was an image talking about the imparting of the Holy Spirit, but also ordination for service, which is what we're called to do. We are given the Holy Spirit to work this purification within us and to serve with all of our might. So we have that sanctification part. And then finally, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So speaking of our eventual glorification, that all people, the just and the unjust, will be raised to judgment. And we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged according to what we have done. It will be a day of great hope and joy for those who are in Christ and a day of great fear for those who are not. So these are the ABCs, the justification, the sanctification, and the glorification that are ours in Christ Jesus. And all these things find their center and their meaning in Christ Jesus. And these are the things that we must know. But he says, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. We need to understand these things, be rooted in them, but then we need to move past them. We need to go much further than these things. We need to plant them in our hearts and we need to stand firm on this foundation, but we need to press on to maturity. And the reason why he says is when he comes to this pastoral warning in verses 4 to 8 in chapter 6. And beloved, this is one of the scariest passages for many people in Scripture because it speaks of those who have come to know Christ and can never be restored. But what we need to understand is this is not intended to terrify us. This is intended to wake us up and help us to cling and pursue faith in Christ with all of our heart. Because remember, this is, this is a letter that is written to those not who have fallen away from Christ, but to those who are standing on the fence of their faith. They are not steadfast and immovable. They are wobbly because of their immaturity. And so he gives this warning so that they might be kept from falling away. And he says a few things. He says, first, he says, recognize that God has been faithful to bless you. He says, for it's impossible in the case of those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted in the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the ages to come. And beloved, that is what you have received, he says. You have been enlightened to the truth of Christ. 
You have tasted his gift. You've tasted, you've shared in the Holy Spirit, which has united us to Christ. You've tasted in the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. He says, you have been blessed beyond measure in this unspeakable gift. But the warning is, for those who have received these gifts, God demands a return on his blessing. He expects a faithful return on his blessing. He expects the repentance and faithfulness and fruitfulness of that blessing. That's what he says in verse 7. He says, For land that has drunk the rain, and often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those whose sake is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and is near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. He says, You have received the rain. You are God's vineyard. Remain in Christ. Bear fruit. Don't fall away. If you bear thorns and thistles, you are worthless and near to being cursed. As if he's to say, you have received blessing upon blessing in Jesus Christ. If you fall away from him, what else is there? You have received grace in Jesus Christ. What will save you at that point should you fall away? He has given you his grace. What is, else is, is there? Worse than that, he says, it, he says it's impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Saying, beloved, do not fall away. Cling to the blessings that you've received and bear fruit. God expects and demands a fruitful harvest. This is a necessary warning. But this pastor knows our hearts and he knows that we could be terrified. And so he turns from the warning to an encouragement. And he says, verse 9, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Do you hear that? Beloved. Beloved. Beloved of the Lord. Beloved by his pastor. He says, we speak of this way. We speak hard words. But in your case, we, are, we feel sure of better things. And the reason, he says, for God is not so unjust to overlook your work and the love you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. God sees the work that you have done, and he is not unjust. He will not overlook that. You are bearing fruit, he says. And his only exhortation is, he says, verse 11, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be, there it is again, sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Beloved, we have the same sense of surety for us here at Zion Presbyterian Church as well. Brothers and sisters, I cannot describe to you how proud I am of the saints at Zion and what you all have accomplished what the Lord has accomplished through you over these past two years at Zion. 
it has been, the Lord has worked in a way that has been a true and genuine encouragement to me. I love to tell people about the work that the Lord has done here at Zion because there has been faithful service in the ministries of this church. And service in the body is indicative of the fruitfulness of the body and the fruitfulness of the body happens only through the fruitfulness of the individual members of the body. We're, we're not even at two years old. And with everything that has happened in the world and in our nation and in our culture, the growing and thriving ministries that we have at this, this church that are led by you is a testament to God's work in you. It is an evidence of the Lord's blessing. A church of our size and age rarely has a faithful Sunday school, youth group, and outreach ministry, and women's ministry, and kids' ministry, and men's ministry. Beloved, these things are there because the Lord has worked through you, and you have given of your time and your love, and your energy for the service of the gospel, for the service of your brothers and sisters, for the sake of the kingdom. And your God sees your faithfulness, and he is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name. Beloved, it is a beautiful thing. And God has blessed it, as it says, it says, you will receive blessing. He has granted fruitfulness in your ministry. There has been growth in maturity and love and joy. I see it in your faces. I see it in your faithfulness. I see it in your generosity of your time and your talents and your treasures. And my only exhortation is the same as his, that each one of you, each one of you would have show the same earnestness to have this, the full assurance of hope until the end. God works maturity, grows us as we serve one another. And we have an opportunity to bless one another. And beloved, this is beautiful because it is evidence of the work of Christ's spirit in and among us, it is evidence of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ because the Lord Jesus Christ was faithful unto the end because he was mature. He stood firm on the word of God. Although he was a son, he learned obedience. He grew in knowledge. He rested in that truth. He taught it. He lived it. And so let us do the same. And so, uh, beloved, just by... A brief application, I would say three things. Learn, lean, and, and live. If you don't know your spiritual ABCs, learn them. And I mean learn them well enough to understand them in your heart, but also to explain them with your lips. It doesn't matter what age you are. You can learn these things. You can explain them. It is a, a blessing. Understand what is the gospel? What is your hope? What, what are these fancy words of justification, sanctification, glorification? It's, it's the gospel, beloved. 
explain them. Find someone, talk, share it, whether it's a family member, a friend, another member of the church. Learn to explain these things and summarize them so that it's on your lips. Then lean on it. Lean on that foundation. Grow to greater things. That Go deeper. Figure out, think through what it is that you don't know. What don't you understand? There's been times where I thought through, like, what, what book of the Bible do I know the least? And then I'm going to study that one. What doctrine don't, can I, don't I quite get? Let me f- dig into that one. Figure out your weakest thing and grow in that. But be patient. You know, don't flame out. Don't burn out. Just develop habits of consistent daily growth. Think of it like manna, daily manna, just like we need to eat every single day. Feed yourself with God's word every day. Grow in it. Um, Grow in these things. Develop fruitfulness. And then finally, live. Live on that foundation. You know, Scripture says, do not merely be hearers of the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Put it into practice. If you're not yet serving in the body, if you haven't found a place to get plugged in, talk to one of the leaders. Get, start serving as a way that the Lord will work this maturity in your heart. It's a way for you to serve your brothers and sisters and to grow in the love of Christ. And speak of these things to move it to your lips and make it real. Uh, military service is not for everybody. Uh, for good reason, you know, there's, there are all sorts of stereotypes of the boot camp environment where uh, there's the drill sergeant who is yelling at his recruits and browbeating them, shaming them for their weakness or whatnot. But we can all recognize that there is a, there is a purpose to this training. The, the drill sergeants are seeking to help turn these civilians into soldiers, help grow them into people that can defend this country faithfully. And beloved, this passage can feel like a drill sergeant that is shaming you for your lack of knowledge or your inability to explain these things. But that is not its purpose. Its purpose is to push us on to maturity, to help us grow in our grace. Be encouraged because your God loves you enough not to let you remain in your immaturity, but would have you grow so that you could be a blessing to him. Spirit-induced maturity will fill you with joy and enable you to stand firm in the midst of life's struggles and cause you to be fruitful and be a blessing to your brothers and sisters. Christ is at work in you, in us. He is producing fruit. So let's stand firm in him and press on to maturity. He who began a good work in you, beloved, will be faithful to complete it for his glory and for our benefit. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you do love us enough to not leave us to our own devices. Help us not to be sluggish. Help us to follow in the example of our Lord Jesus Christ whose spirit even dwells within us. Help us to love our brothers and sisters. Help us to love you with all of our hearts. And would you give us understanding as a body, as individuals. Help us to be faithful to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, our hymn of response is hymn number 243. How firm a foundation he